is Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those! Out of this world! Messi! 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 3 nothing. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again! And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. In what has been an eventful week in international soccer, FUVFC returns with another weekly installment Going back to a three-person a three person show, I'm joined alongside by Emma Zubko and Dylan. Guys, how are we doing? Emma, I'll start with you. How are we feeling after two matches into this international break, as well as everything else that's going on around in the world of soccer? It's going good. It's going good. Very two opposite uh, outcomes that we see with the U.S. MNT, so that'll be interesting to discuss. Dylan, my man, how are you? I'm, I'm good. It's good to be back. I haven't been on the show in a couple of weeks, so it's, it's good to be back. It's also really cool uh, to be here with the, the original three when we revived this, uh, this podcast. This was the, uh, the original lineup. So it's cool to be back with, uh, with the both of you. Um, and, you know, it, it was mixed results this week for the USMNT. And I know, Keenan, you're quite a little upset with uh, things going on in other sports. We don't have to talk about that if you don't want to. But um, I'm, I'm mostly just thrilled to be here with the two of you. Yeah, the original, the original trio that started FUV, FUVFC, excuse me, back in June, I believe we were covering international soccer then with the Euros. I think that was the match in which Erickson went down that we were covering. I think that was our first, first week back. So, you know, staying on, staying on par with what we covered in terms of us being a trio, being bulk of it being international soccer. But yeah, Dylan, as you touched on, the emotional roller coaster for Keenan Troy seemingly just never wants to go up. You know, the White Sox today, granted the ninth inning is going on as we record, it's not looking good. If they come back, I'll get a tattoo. You can timestamp this and, you know, tweet at me, tweet at the show if it ends up happening because I'm just not not in the mood to entertain that whatsoever. But ignoring baseball because that's just going to lead to more heartbreak. Possibly there is heartbreak to be talked about with the United States men's national team. You know, we've got two matches this past week. First, let's start with the win against Jamaica. It was a 2-0 result at home that, you know, left a lot of American soccer fans being optimistic. You saw perhaps what would become the, what we'd like to consider the core of the midfield with Musa as well as McKinney, as well as Adams in there. And, you know, Pepe gets back on the score sheet with two goals. So I want to start with Pepe because, you know, he has the great debut a couple of weeks ago and we think maybe this guy is our everyday nine, you know, haven't really had one since you could say, Dempsey can maybe say Josie Altidore. That's kind of a stretch. I'm not really going to consider Josh Sargent in that equation because I don't think he ever panned out to what the United States was expecting. But Pepe immediately makes an impact, scoring in his debut. And then he adds two against Jamaica. So after seeing that performance, Dylan, I'll start with you. You know, 
ignoring the result that later comes against Panama, a match that he didn't start to, which we'll get into the questionable roster, you know, decisions in that match made by Burlhalter. But you see him get a brace against Jamaica and what, you know, wasn't a must win for the United States by any stretch of the imagination, but it's always good to get that result at home against a good Jamaican side. Certainly so, Keenan. Uh, you know, the, the thing with the U.S. national team, and, and as we talk more about how the entire week itself panned out for them, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this. But, you know, it, from week to week, really from match to match, I really don't know what to expect from them. And that's a big part of my issue with them right now is, uh, you know, they, they're looking pretty good right now. Um, you know, I, I certainly think they'll squeeze into – uh, to Qatar next year, but um, you know it's just it, it's it's very shaky, and and the uh, the nation as a as a program with the men's um, the last couple of years has has just really has not been stable, and that's been the issue. And I think so much of that has to do with that uh, that position up top, the, the nine as you mentioned. You know, you talk about Dempsey; he really was to me, I think, the the last really solid point there. You know, Josie Altidore had a good, I would say, eighteen months. Um, there before things kind of really fell off for him uh, and he kind of fell off the face of the earth in terms of being a uh an impact player for uh for the USMNT so you know to have a guy like Pepe there uh, a solid debut and, and you hope it leads to something but I what I think is really important for the uh these U.S. men to remember is to to build on such things uh because I feel like that has been their Achilles heel even after successful uh tournaments and, and victories and in international friendlies over the last few years. Yeah, Pepe came out with two goals uh, against that Jamaica team. Very impressive. A very young player, which we often see. I'm always stunned by how young these guys are uh, in on the U.S. M&T and in many of the European clubs. Uh, he, yeah, he now has two goals or two three goals and two consecutive starts, and I think he's definitely looking to be the starting forward position um and he was taken off the field actually with 20 minutes left I think to be saved for uh the matches coming up but unfortunately he didn't play against uh uh who did they just uh Honduras um and I thought I thought their defense looked really good in this game against Jamaica it was uh, Musa's World Cup qualifying debut, and uh, Zimmerman also played well in the central defense. And then uh, Luca De La Torre and Tim Weah came off the bench to make uh, their World Cup qualifying debuts as well. Uh, so they all played pretty consistent and pretty well in that game, which I thought was good. And then it was unfortunate that I feel like it was such an opposite outcome in the uh, in the next game and we could kind of see where you know a lot where, where they're struggling yeah and you know Emma something you talked about briefly there was Burhalter at the end of the match kind of replacing Pepe up top kind of you know giving Wea his first uh, CONCACAF qualifying cap etc cetera, etc cetera. but by and large, this game was a tale of two halves, which I think is a recurring theme we've seen a lot in these U.S. men's national teams, Olympic qualifiers, um, where the first half is kind of a feeling out, um, not so much of the United States coming out and 
really putting their foot down and saying, this is our match. We're the top team in, you know, CONCACAF qualifying, maybe with the exception of Mexico. But it's always seemingly that they come out and they kind of feel out the opposition, kind of Burrowhalter, you know, kind of, at least in my opinion, runs them out no matter who's on the roster in the same kind of mindset of just get us to halftime level and we'll make the adjustments. And seemingly that's what happened this game, you know. Back and forth first half, Turner not really forced into action with the exception of one save. United States get going with a breakaway for Areola in the opening minutes, but nothing really comes of it. And then a couple shots here, a couple shots there. Blake not really tested a couple – a really good free kick misses wide, but by and large a boring first half. And then we see the second half, and seemingly Burhalter sees a weakness, maybe gets the guys going a little bit more in that halftime discussion. And Pepe comes out and scores two and then gets subbed off, as you mentioned, Emma. Um, and, you know, we think maybe he's saving legs for what would be a good Panama match down in Panama. And I don't want to jump to that match right away. I just want to know from your guys' perspective, because for me, it, with the exception of that Panama match, because I want to still have the focus on this Jamaica match, is there any reason why the United States comes out and plays, you know, Jamaica's not a bad side, but they're certainly not to the level of the United States. They certainly don't have the funding of the United States. They certainly don't have the talent of, especially young talent that the United States does. Is there any reason why we see this continued pattern, even matches that the United States wins, that they come out and they still attempt to feel out their opponent? Why isn't there an emphasis to go out there and dominate from the first whistle, give themselves a cushion so that that halftime speech isn't, okay, how are we going to score? But instead that halftime speech is, okay, we're up two goals. How do we get a third and put this game to bed? Well, you, you know, to me, Keenan, this seems to be at the crux of, of uh, the, the issues in uh, the U.S. men's national team that, that have existed for quite some time now, if you ask me, at least as long as I have been following it in my long, long life. But to me, it's, it's a matter of, you know, what we'll often talk about here in this country is that soccer is not uh, one of our prominent four sports because it doesn't get the funding. But the funding that we do have for the sport is already significantly more than most of the nations that we will play in CONCACAF. So it, it, it's, an, it's an odd question. And, and it's why we continue to see a lack of consistency, even between two halves in what you might call a successful game for the team. There, 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 is, there is a lack of consistency there because there, there's, there's mixed messages all over the place. And to me, what it comes down to is a lack of – a lack of enthusiasm for the program is really how, what it feels like to, to me. You know, obviously it doesn't have the eyes um, that uh, other sports get in this country unless they're playing in the World Cup. It's really the only time they, they get that kind of attention, even when they're playing on, a, on the road to the World Cup, which is what they're doing right now. Uh, they, do, they don't get that attention, which is, uh, which is immensely difficult for them to build some kind of uh, momentum around themselves outwardly. Uh, and to me, that's a, that's a big problem with things. And that's why even as, as we inch closer to having to talk about this Panama match, we see um, uh, the, the difference between a side um, from the beginning of a week to the end of one. Because, you know, no one's going to doubt that the talent is there. You know, even when, you know, even during like the Gold Cup, for example, when all they're doing is just putting out an MLS B-side, they're still able to compete because they have the talent. No one's doubting the talent. It's, um, it's the commitment to it that seems to me to be the problem. Yeah, I think that you, you make some points. It's, it's not, um, there's not much hype or, or following in general in the United States around 
U.S. or around U.S. soccer just compared to other uh, domestic sports. And I think uh, when there's not as many people following and there's not as much funding even maybe, it's you're not going to have as good of a program. And there's like the European teams are like grooming these guys from like youth and we just do not have those types of programs in the United States and you're not going to have the players uh, that can come out and compete on an international level like uh, most of the European countries. And the US MNT is just, I think it's very, just from, from following currently, it's, it's inconsist inconsistent and it's very up and down. And uh, I think it's a little bit hard to root for in my, in my opinion. Maybe not hard to root for. I mean, I think a lot of Americans, those who follow the sport closely, I would say it gets hard to root for just based off the inconsistency. But I think by and large in American culture, it's relatively easy to root for just because of, you know, it's your national team. So obviously everyone and their mother's going to, you know, get up for a big U.S. game. But seemingly those big U.S. games only come against Mexico, as Dylan, you kind of touched on, that like the road to the World Cup is seemingly not followed and then if we get to the world cup great everybody wants to cheer for the u.s but before that it's seemingly okay you've got your give or take forty thousand americans that really care about this sport and then everyone else kind of just turns a blind eye and as, as sad as that is and as sad as that is the reality in the united states for me it's not hard to blame them because we've been hinting at it since we got this episode going and i think it's time we move to the panama game because that is perhaps the greatest example of not only inconsistency, I would argue arrogance, and I would argue lack of preparation that is present within the United States men's national team program and United States men's soccer as a whole. So after what would be on Wednesday an agreed like positive result against Jamaica, 2-0 at home, you take those, you're happy with those. So you go into Panama and obviously now us knowing the results, you could kind of see issues that were going into Panama. You know, you want to get McKenney, who's injured, Reyna still out injured, Polisic still out injured. Reyna and Polisic obviously not there in the first match against Panama, uh, excuse me, against Jamaica, but then you add McKenney on that. Stefan can't travel, nor can Anthony Robinson, because the UK is a red listed country in Panama in terms of COVID, and both of those players playing in the Premier League jeopardize their potential to go down to Panama to compete with this side. All that being said, we see Greg Berhalter make seven changes to the starting 11. And I'm personally a critic of Taylor Twellman, but he said something very poetic when he was on ESPN FC earlier this week, which is, you know, you see Germany, even when they line up to play Hungary or Estonia or whoever a lesser opponent is in their eyes, their squad changes most are three players. They, they keep the same core and then they filter in guys who they think need more reps in order to be large contributor to the team's success in the long run. Burhalter, and we talked about it over the Gold Cup, Dylan, it's always just this mix and match, this Mickey Mouse team he assembles to go play different teams. And, you know, when you sit out a Pepe, when you sit out an Arison who had a really good assist on Pepe's second goal at home versus Jamaica, I don't want to say it's arrogant to say we don't need to play our – the kids that we think are going to be stars for this program, but seemingly there's nothing else that can be said because why are you taking out Pepe in the 65th minute against Jamaica at home? If you're not going to utilize him to start the match against Panama. So we go down to Panama. You're thinking you need to get three points here. 
not because you're in a spot in which not getting three points or dropping any points is going to jeopardize your chances of winning a World Cup, but we talked about baseball, and I'll use it here. Your season isn't going to be won. Your World Cup qualification isn't going to take place in October of the year before, but it certainly can certainly can be hurt. You certainly can miss out on that qualification because you're not getting points in Panama. So Dylan, it looks like you're ready to hop in here. So I'm going to turn it over to you, but seven changes in the starting 11, seemingly a red flag from the get-go. That first half looked awful. And then Burhalter scrambles at the second half. What'd you make of that first half for the United States? Well, you know, uh, firstly, I was just about to bring up what, what you just spent a, a few minutes talking about there is th- this lack of consistency of, um, from lineup to lineup, from game to game, does seem to come from some kind of arrogance. And I would say, you know, taking a guy like Pepe out in the 65th minute and then not using him the next day, or the next game, excuse me, it, it feels almost like you talk about baseball. The, the U.S. men's national team, I think part of the reason they weren't able to get to the World Cup in 2018 is they treated qualifications like spring training. It's not that. It's, it, it is, and it's not going to be that. There, that's a certain level of arrogance that this team does not play the kind of football, even when they have the talent to, to deserve and to earn. They don't have it. And no, no nation in the world has that. Not even Germany or England have that. So it's, 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 just, it's just so confusing to me that they would, that they would want to do that. You know, you look at a guy like Christian Pulisic, who, you know, it's nothing against him. He's just the most prominent example. You know, he'll miss a lot of international matches to go make sure he's with, with his club. And, and I can't blame him because there's no enthusiasm around the team. Who would want to, who, who would want to leave the club to go play internationally when you come back here for it? It just does. It's it, it, it's it's the lack of that kind of culture, I would say, around the program that is doing this team really dirty, uh, is doing U.S. soccer fans really dirty. But yeah, you, you look at that first half and you see that precisely. You see a team that probably felt very arrogant. And you know, I, I could just tell you from a, from the perspective of American sports fans, I it, uh, I have a lot of friends who are sports fans who are not soccer fans, but they'll see the result of a a game where, where, where you beat a team like Jamaica and you go, well, we're just overpowering these teams because we're America and, and we're the sports capital of the world and that's just what we do. And it's, and it's that energy that always brings a loss into the next game. It always happens. Um, there is a, there's a certain energy that surrounds this team that, that needs to change, and I think that's what you see even specifically in the first half. You see a team that went, oh, my goodness, we're really going to have to play in this game. And it's like, of course you're going to have to. It was just really confusing. Yeah, and Dylan, something you touched on there um, that I want to spend a little more time on, and Emma, feel free to jump in on either point, but you talked about the energy and the culture that surrounds United States men's national team soccer, because I would argue it's significantly different than what we see with the women, because as we've discussed on this show, and I think is broadly understood, and at least in you know, world soccer is that the United States women is leaps and bounds better than 95% of the teams that they're going to come up against. And they have, and they get the results to back that up. Granted, you know, bronze medal at this past Olympic games, with the exception of that, even with that, like the women's national team has, is proven at least over the past decade that they are a winning team. And the United States has never proven that, you know, what, 2016, you get to a world cup, quarterfinal match round of 16 match and you barely you lose to Belgium and then you haven't had anything to show from it since you know you have a strong showing every once a blue moon against a European team probably most recently Switzerland which you know it's a good showing against a Switzerland side but then again it is a Switzerland side nothing to take away anything from Switzerland you know there's still leaps and bounds at least in my opinion better than the United States but it's not like you're beating a Germany it's not like you're competing with a Germany so I think that 
that culture is central to the issues we see with Burrowhalter, which is lackadaisical at best, which is, okay, I can afford, because we're going to play Panama, I can afford to, you know, field whomever I want, because in his eyes, at least, it seems to say that this United States team, this United States program has all the tools, all the resources necessary that these games are seemingly throwaway. And I, I hate to say it, but like, do we need more games against Honduras that are tied in the second half one-to-one -to, -one, to encourage Burhalter to do something to, you know, motivate his players to go out there and take a match because seemingly it's, it's not so. And with the starting 11 that he fields against Panama, it's just mind boggling that a, it's the starting 11 he show, fields and B the energy on the field is, is miserable. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be hypercritical of professional athletes, but a lot of these guys are, you know, getting shots to play for a national team that realistically everyone healthy, they might not get to play for. And then they go out there, they don't can, you know, don't maintain, maintain possession. And then when they do maintain possession, they have nothing positive going forward. And then on the back end, they're seemingly porous balls are being, you know, picked out throughout their back line. You know, Turner has to play exceptionally well, and he's been the single silver lining for this Burlhalter experience is that you probably found a number two behind Zach Steffen, if not a potential number one, depending on what Steffen's progression looks over the past, you know, in the following nine months. But I, it's just mind boggling that that's the effort that's given in a, not a must win match, but a, against a Panama side that went to the World Cup in 2018 in place of the United States. It's, it's not like, you know, you're going up against the U15s, like you're playing a professional team and you're playing professional athletes who get paid to play the sport and a team and a program that went to the most frequent, most recent World Cup and you didn't. So it's just mind boggling for me as a soccer fan, as somebody that's, you know, had faith in the United States program moving forward since they didn't make the World Cup in 2018, to, you know, make changes when necessary, but we haven't seen that. And then when we see changes made from the top, mainly being the head coach, it's fielding players that when they get out on the field, they look flat. They look stale and they're, you know, and again, we see Burl Halter scrambling at halftime to make changes to a lineup that he set and was confident in or uh, allegedly confident in, and then, you know, can't get a result. So Emma and Dylan, I'm just wondering, you know, is it time for the Greg Burl Halter experiment to end? Is it time for somebody in the higher ups of U.S. soccer to say something to him to say, hey, you need to find an 11 quick because this, whatever you're doing right now, isn't going to cut it moving forward because see, I mean, it, it cut it during the world uh, during the gold cup where perhaps some international teams in CONCACAF took their foot off the gas, but through, through the qualifying matches thus far, I've been, I've been less than impressed with what has, what the United States men's national team has shown me on the field. I always think it's funny how, when the US MNT play, um, I think more of the European teams, I'm going to be honest. I root for the European teams. I don't even root for the US MNT. Most of my friends don't even root for them. I don't think many of them could even name one singular uh, MLS or US MNT player, but they could name a bunch of European soccer players. And just that outlook and mindset in general is not uh, not very positive of, of, of US soccer uh, here. And then going into the Panama match, yeah, I, I was literally just scrolling through the YouTube comments of the highlights, and uh, a lot of the people were saying that the whole lineup was totally disrespectful to Panama and that, you know, the U.S. kind of deserved, deserved to lose that, and that they were, they were glad that we lost that because uh, you, uh, you can't keep switching out these players. Uh, I think we 
had like three matches in, in, in seven days and how are they supposed to, you know, work together and find that chemistry and uh, that, that quickly if, you know, Berhalter's just playing different people, kind of seems like he's still experimenting, uh, doesn't know what he's doing and then gives some random excuse after every game on, you know, what happened no matter what the outcome was. It's it's just it's just really disappointing, is is what it is. It's I, I keep coming back to, to the word to the word culture. There just is a there's a mentality that does not exist in other. Um, to be to be quite frank, it doesn't exist among other nations, uh, teams that are also the the country itself is a world power. Whether you talk about England or, or Germany or, or, or France or. Or, or, or any of these nations that, um, that not even just sports-wise, but in, in terms of geographically and politically have such a, uh, a grasp on the globe, um, the United States just doesn't pan up to any of their counterparts or their contemporaries in that respect. And it just comes from, a, a lot of people will blame the fact that there are other sports in this country, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. I really don't. Uh, it's... It's a lack of consistency on the field. It's an inability to, um, what's the best way to say this? It's an, it, it's an inability to uh, maintain a product and sustain a product on the field for a significant period of time. It's an inability to find the right coach for this team. Uh, I think it's time to find a new one again. I, I, I think the time has come. I'm always very hesitant to say that in any sport, with any team, in any coach. Um, but I, it's, I've, to this point, I've, I've, I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm ready to move on personally. Um, and it's going to take more than that, but for now, that's step number one. Yeah, Dylan, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and be level-headed as I talk here because I have been never, never have been in on Greg Berhalter. The second he was hired, I saw it as a step in the wrong direction, just like I saw Bruce Arenas was a step in the wrong direction. Jurgen Klinsmann was the best chance United States men's national team soccer program had to move forward. And it's because he came from a culture of soccer where no matter who you were playing, no matter who was healthy, the 11 that you fielded and whomever you pulled off the bench, essentially no matter the opponent, whoever was called upon to represent your country and or your team was expected to go out there, give you X amount of minutes of hard work and leave nothing on the field and leave no questions within your coach's head as to whether he could compete at a high level or whether he couldn't. So Bruce Arenas gets hired. That experiment's terrible. That was a return to, you know, some former glory after, after Klinsman was good for the United States men's national team. And then we see Greg Berhalter brought in, who's this young MLS coach who granted has a lot of success in the MLS and, you know, oh, he's going to be the face of U.S. soccer moving forward. And granted, he's done an okay job. I think in other years, you'd be satisfied with the product that he's produced, but this is in other years. You have potentially the most talented generation of United States soccer that the, co the country and the world has ever seen. For the first time in seemingly forever, you've got men on the national team that represent clubs in high level competitions in Europe and have experience from high level European soccer, or if not European soccer, high level somewhere else in the globe. And seemingly they are ignored. Seemingly it's a return to let's play the way I want to play, not let's play the way the team wants to play in order to win. 
And so I think there's a large disconnect between you know, the expectations of the club and the expectations of the coach. I think the coach's expectations, and Dylan, we talked about this after the Gold Cup, and something that I'm continually frustrated with is not only the inconsistency in the lineup, it's the inconsistency in the formation, then it's in the inconsistency everywhere in between in terms of training, in terms of how he, you know, demands things out of certain players. I've never once seen Greg Berhalter, you know, pull a Mourinho, pull a Pep, get in a player's face and say, this is how you need to play in order for us to win. It's seemingly passive and it's been passive since he was hired. And I said it when they won the gold cup, he might've, you know, bought enough rope to make it through world cup qualifying. And after that Panama game, I think there's a lot of head scratching going around across, across United States soccer federation. I think that you're starting to question whether Burr Halters is the man in charge and, you know, he, the man you want to take to Qatar, if assuming you make it to Qatar or Qatar, it's the same country, but I think that the United States has really dug themselves into a hole right now because you'd think that if you were going to replace Burhalter, the time to do it would have been during the whole COVID world shutdown of soccer, or at least before the gold cup so that a new boss could come in charge, see what evaluate young talent and see who would, who he thought would be able to make the leap into a, a side that would maybe compete for a world cup, or at least, you know, compete within their group in the World Cup, but instead you remain with Burhalter, who throughout the Gold Cup we saw mixing and matching starting 11s and also, you know, I don't want to say favoring MLS talent because I don't think there's a bias towards it, but seemingly going with tried and trusted MLS guys over young and upcoming talents that had something to offer because they play at a higher level than the MLS. I know it hurts United States soccer fans to hear, but the MLS is not the premier level. And as long as Burhalter continues to favor players who play at that lower level, which is the MLS, you're going to find yourself continually in these positions where you're scratching your head wondering, how did we lose to Panama? Or how did we lose to Trinidad? And how are we right now grasping to stay relevant within this group? Because tomorrow they play Costa Rica. And if they lose to Costa Rica, Canada gets a result and Panama gets a result. And we're going to assume Mexico gets a result. The United States sits fifth in this group. And that's not a spot anyone wants to be in. So the problem with keeping with Burhalter this entire time is, are you going to introduce a new boss right now and ask him to jumpstart this program in international windows that are only two weeks long, where you can't really evaluate talent, where you can't really find your best 11 if you're a new boss? I, I don't know what they're going to do, but frankly, it, it really dumbfounds me that we're in this position time and time again. And I think the last thing I want to talk about in terms of this Panama match, because I, I know that we're all very disappointed in the result that was, that was shown is, I guess, maybe not the Panama match, but segueing into the Costa Rica match. I would, I would say this is a must-win game. The United States is at home versus Costa Rica. And if you can't win at home against Costa Rica – which is a good side, but definitely not the Costa Rica that, you know, shocked the world in 2014. You're on the outside looking in and world cup qualifying and, you know, granted you'll play all these teams a second time and you can still kind of control your own fate, but the onus is on you to get results. It's not, you're sitting at the top hoping that, you know, a draw is good enough. A draw no longer becomes good enough when you're on the outside looking in in fourth place. So Dylan, Emma, I'm just wondering, you know, obviously this Costa Rica match has a lot of, a lot on the line in terms of the United States men's national team moving forward. Let's start with assuming they win. How do they win? Because I don't want to assume they're going to win because I frankly haven't seen anything to suggest that they're going to be at least in the first half pushing the envelope onto Costa Rica. 
I'm just wondering how do they how do they win? Will we see Burhalter finally find a consistent eleven, or is it just going to be another Mickey Mouse of oh you played an okay fifteen minutes last match you can come and start for this side oh you're haven't scored or haven't produced in 15 caps for the national team. Why not against a must win game in CONCACAF qualifying? Why not you go get a, get a run out there? I'm just wondering how, how does the United States set themselves up to win this match tomorrow night on Wednesday? Well, it's to me, the only way they can guarantee victory is, is to, to make some kind of firm decision in lineup as you, as you're saying, but also to have some kind of energy. There's, there's a lack of it. There's, there's typically for, for, for U.S. men's soccer, there is more energy in the stands than there is on the field. Um, just in, in supporters groups alone, it, there, there does need to be an energy there. You know, that's not something you can statistically give any value to um, because it's not, it's not very, it's not tangible. Um, but to, um, to shove off the significance of, uh, of coming in with a, with a fire in your belly um, is, is foolish, uh, especially for, for a team that has lacked consistency due to the fact that as much talent as they might have um, lacks that energy. Um, so, and to me, I think Costa Rica is really going to come out fighting. I think they're going to be hungry because um, I think they know that the U S has confidence in their ability to come out of the CONCACAF uh, in Qatar. So, or for Qatar, excuse me. So if you're the U.S., you need to respond with having more fire. You need to you need to be energetic. I don't know if that means, you know, a, a coach yelling at a player's face, but it, it it does mean it does mean some level of intensity um, that has not been there, and not treating this game as a as a test run for who's really going to play in the World Cup. Because you gotta you gotta pretend the World Cup is right now because it is. That's what it is. It's all it's all one tournament. And you know what? If you don't treat it Seriously enough, you might not get to the real one. Yeah, going forward, I think we get Aronson, Pepe, and, and Tim Weah should be starting. And McKenney and Robinson and Dash should also be starting, which will help us for sure. Uh, I think Costa Rica is playing some of their veterans, which is a little scary, but I think we can deal with that. Um, Berhalter needs to make sure he puts out a solid midfield that can execute and not leave gaps in, that, in the midfield and who will challenge the uh, 50-50 balls and win them and start making plays. Uh, we would hope that with Adams and McKinney returning, we'll have more power in the central midfield, uh, which will help free up more space and options you know, elsewhere on the field. But uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do. And it's, he's kind of becoming unpredictable for Holter. And just, it's scary to say, I hope, you know, we got to just hope for the best uh, in, in this match against Costa Rica. And hopefully we can, you know, protect home field, hold home field advantage. Yeah. And Emma, something you touched on there too, is just hoping for the best. And it's really, I'm not going to say the word depressing, but it's really it's really sad that as soccer fans of a team and of a country that have every resource available to them, have players that are, you know, not world class in the sense that you'd call like a Tony Cruz, a Leroy Sané, just to name some starters on that German national team, 
but world class in the sense that they're the best best players that this country has seen in a long, long time. It's it's really sad that we have to sit back and wonder what what result we're gonna get. But before the result, we have to wonder what what product we're gonna get on the field because the inconsistency that we've talked about this entire entire episode has seemingly come from not only the coach, but it's also come from the effort given by the players. So I know we talked about how the United States is going to win. I think that if they lose, you are welcome to agree with me or disagree with me guys. But I think if they lose, you're going to see a lot of things get ramped up in terms of where this country's program is going. And I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Berhalter is sacked. Do I think it's an appropriate move? No, just because of the nature of World Cup qualifying and the limited times coaches get with their players. I think that would be a move that is wise in terms of the long run, but in the short run, you have to get yourself in a better position in terms of CONCACAF qualifying standings before you get rid of him so that a new coach could enter and not have to win his first game. But Anything is really on the table as far as I'm concerned if they lose this game. Dylan, any thoughts? If the United States doesn't get a result versus Costa Rica, are we saying goodbye to Greg Berhalter at long last? I think we should say goodbye to Greg Berhalter about six months ago. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, if, if they don't come out uh, winning in this one, I, I hope so. There's nothing against him personally. It's just not the right fit. It's very clearly not. Yeah, a lot rests on this game, and like you hit on, I hate that we have to go into it kind of thinking, well, he's gonna, Berhalt is gonna do what he's gonna do, um, and we just hope that they, they pull out the win. And I, I, I don't know much about his history, but just from following USMNT currently, um, it's not, not really happy with. Uh, the program so far. Yeah, and, you know, Dylan, you said we should have said goodbye to Burhalter six months ago. Should have said goodbye to him before he was even hired, in my opinion. Emma, as you said, the direction, at least in the past year and a half, has been an anonymity at best. It's been a complete enigma to pretty much anybody who follows soccer. You know, Taylor Twelman, I hate to keep bringing him up, but he just covers the United States men's national team so well and puts them in such a spotlight that I feel like it's been lacking for so long that he hits the nail right on the head when he says since that Trinidad shocker, this country has been searching for a soccer identity and it still hasn't found it, which is appalling. So I think so much just, you know, moving forward is predicated against this match against Costa Rica. But as a personal note, I think the biggest thing regardless win loss or draw tomorrow night i think that and this ties into our larger discussion and maybe will serve as a wrap for this show is we talk about the culture of the united states soccer and it's seemingly result to result as in we win oh hooray we lose oh boo we stink oh we win again oh never mind that last result we're the best team on earth again and i think that's become such a problem with greg burhalter in comparison to you know maybe even bruce arenas because with Bruce Arenas, it was always kind of this confidence that Bruce is our guy and he's going to get us back on the right track. But with Burr Halter, it's always kind of been a result to result 
basis. And he's seemingly always been able to answer the bell when people have been calling for his head and for him to be removed. He always seemingly wins that next match and never really like lets the discussion move forward because he always gets the next result, which is crucial to his employment as coach of this team. But regardless of the Costa Rica result, in my mind, Burhalter needs to be put on the hot seat. I think that it needs to come down from the top. I think that the United States Soccer Federation needs to be breathing down his neck and letting him know that the results, regardless of the results, what he's putting on the field week in and week out with this talented roster is, is not sufficient. And that they, I wouldn't even be mad if they just gave him a lineup sheet every week and said, this is who you need to play or we're firing you. Is it a little Soviet in the sense that they're using fear mongering for this man to keep his job? Absolutely. Do I care at this moment? No, because I have no faith in him going forward. I know it was a kind of morbid episode, folks. We like to start on the nice note of a win against Jamaica because that always makes us feel good. It always makes us, it always sits right with, you know, getting a win in CONCACAF qualifying. But then like all things in life, the good times must come to an end. And then we're faced with the, the sad reality that is we have no idea where this national team program is moving forward. Big match tomorrow night against Costa Rica. If you care about soccer, check it out. If you don't care about soccer and only care about soccer every four years when we're in the World Cup, if we're in the World Cup, check it out because I'm telling you right now that this match is going to be crucial to not only standing the, understanding the direction that this program is headed in, but also understanding if there is a direction this program is headed in. Because if you lose to Costa Rica at home tomorrow, I'm telling you right now, World Cup qualifying becomes 10 times harder and the results that you're getting right now are not good enough to propel you over that leap to get you into a good spot to qualify for Qatar. With that all being said, it was a pleasure as always to check in with you guys. The original three back talking more, more international soccer and it wasn't a good episode in terms of, you know, bolstering the United States morale and, you know, being one for the home team. But until they give us that feeling on the pitch, as far as I'm concerned, we can continue the same, this same tone for as long as it takes us to encourage them to, to go get results that we like. Big one tomorrow night, guys. Be sure to check out United States men's national team versus Costa Rica. I think they kick off at 8 o'clock Eastern time. And, and maybe I'll throw up a, a solo podcast tomorrow night. Maybe send it to our guy, Alex Wools, who takes care of all things sports here at FU, WFUV. Just my reaction. I will say if it's a good result, it probably won't happen. But if it's bad, you can, you can bet your sweet bippy, as White Sox legend Hawk Harrelson used to say, that I will be making a video and sending it to Alex. Will it get posted? We won't know. But until next week, I'm Keenan Troy for Dylan Balsamo and Emma Zubko. This has been FUVFC. Take care, everybody.